0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are Messengers of Hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. The first miracle, I'm not going to read it to you because it's a long, long passage of scripture, and it's found in John chapter 5, and it starts in verse 1 of John chapter 5, goes all the way through like verse 15 or so, and in John chapter 5 here, we have this invalid who's been in this condition, the scripture tells us, for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been in this condition and, he, and he's waiting. And he's waiting. Superstition in the in the in the belief of the time is that if he could get into the waters when it began to stir, if he could get into the water first, he would be healed. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus comes walking by, and, and as he comes, now what Jesus is wanting to show is his supreme authority. He's wanting to show his power and his his his, his superiority in that, in, in in who he is as the Lord and the Savior. Well, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and, he, and he's coming because it's the feast, it's uh, it's one of the Jewish feasts, we see this in, in, in verse 1, and Jesus comes, and as he comes, he sees this man, and and as he sees the man, and the man, and all that are there, and really, it's a picture of the desperation of the moment of those that were around this pool, waiting for a touch, uh, and they thought if they could get into the the water first that into the sheep's gate pool that that they first if they were there they would be healed and it's the desperation of the moment and jesus sees this man that's there and as he sees him he asks him the question do you want to get well now, what a question to ask him. I mean, he's, he's been in this condition for 38 years. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? But again, it's a picture that's being pro, uh, pro, pro just uh, portrayed that Jesus has the power to meet not only this man's need, but to meet the needs of the world that's around. And we can just in our heart say encouragement in this moment to say, Jesus has all power. I prayed it earlier and I declare it now that all power is in the name of Jesus. Just say amen with me. Assurance in our heart. No matter what our world is going through, we've got an answer and we've got hope and it's in the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus touches him and heals him and this man is healed. Now, this creates a little bit of an issue because he did it on the Sabbath. He heals the man on the Sabbath and the religious law was that you could not heal on the Sabbath. And so now the religious, uh, uh, the religious, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others, they begin to question, how could he do this on the Sabbath? And boy, it's a picture to us that, that God every day belongs to God. And, and here he is wanting to, he is wanting to show his power even over the Sabbath, that the law in itself does not stop the work of God and what God wanted to do, and that dead religion sometimes tries to meet a world's need, but only the power of God can really meet the needs that are in the world today, and we've got to get that in our spirit and know in our spirit that Jesus has the answer. He has the cure. He has what's needed in the world today, not just for a virus, but for the greatest disease that man has ever had, and that disease is sin. Can I hear an amen? And Jesus died and gave his life so that men could be reconciled and come back to the Father. Well, Jesus heals him and the religious of the day begin to to bicker and fight on how could Jesus done that. And, 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 And then Jesus speaks to this gentleman and we see it later in the chapter, verse 13, 14, we see it down there and he begins to tell this man that as he's been healed, he tells him that now... He is to walk in obedience and stop sinning, that there's a responsibility that he's got to take. And that responsibility is the walk in the ways of God. And when we come to this miracle, we can see, now it's not the miracle I want to focus on the most, but there's two miracles here. This man had been in this condition for 38 years. Man, think about his parents. I just put my, my, myself in the parents' place on both of these stories. What were the parents thinking these years, praying, believing, they're heartbroken, and yet in the middle of this, Jesus comes at the right time, and he begins the minister. But what do you do if you're in a season of waiting? What do you do if the answer's not right there? What do you do in the midst of all the chaos that's all around? That's what we're going to look at in just a moment. I want to take you to the second story. And it's found in John, I said chapter 7, it's actually chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you'll flip or click over there, is our second story. And we're going to dissect this one a little bit more in John chapter 9. In verse 1, I want to begin reading. And uh, he went along and he saw a man blind, look here, from when? When? from birth that's right from birth 38 years the first miracle now this one this man's been blind since birth and his disciples ask rabbi teacher jesus who sinned you see they have a false assumption they believe that he's in this condition because of sin so who sinned is it the man or was it his parents Is it a generational curse? Is it something the man did? Something the parents did? Is it generational? Who sinned? Who was it that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this has happened. Important, important verse right here. This has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You see, man's spirituality is a spiritual blindness. This man had a physical blindness, his eyes needed to be open. Now for you and I it's a it's a physical blindness for most is that we need we need not just a physical blindness but a spiritual blindness where God will open our eyes and help us see him in a greater way. And can I tell you even after you come to Christ and you give your life to the Lord there is still greater revelation that God is wanting to reveal and God is wanting to to bring you into from glory to glory the growth that God wants to do. I mean I ask all the time God open my spiritual and let me see let me be discerning and perceiving and understanding well in this case he needed a physical healing for most around us they need a spiritual healing but this encounter is really going to reveal the mission of christ more than anything so the first healing paralyzed for 38 years the second one blind from birth two miracles Two sets of parents that, that, that have been believing and praying, two individuals that have wondered why am I in this situation? And it led me today to give you four simple thoughts. I don't want to take long. I just want to share them. I want to share them, and I pray today it's more than another sermon, but it's something that can give us hope to hold on to when all around us is fear and chaos and confusion. In the middle of it, we can hold on the four truths. The first truth is this: What do you do when you're waiting for your miracle? When you're waiting for God to move? The first one is you have to break through. You got to break the why. God. God, thinking. Why God? Why is this happening? Why am I in this condition? Why is this happening to us? How many maybe have already said that? This is crazy. I've heard that word more than anything the last week or two. This is crazy. Why is this happening? Well, I can tell you life is full of struggles, and I can tell you that this life that we're living right now, it's not the way it's supposed to be because we're not in heaven yet. You see, this, in moments like this, is a reminder to you and I that this is in heaven. We're on our way to heaven, but we're not there yet. One day we will, and when we get there, we can shout a hallelujah to this. No sickness, no disease, no more dying, no pain, no suffering. When we get there, there will not be any coronavirus. There will not be any death. I mean, in the last several weeks, I've been at four funerals in the last several weeks as a pastor. Can I tell you, that makes you think about life when you're there and you're walking through the pain of losing a loved one, and we can't help but saying, God, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Well, if you get caught in the confusion, if you begin to feel helpless, if you get to a place that you feel alone and you find yourself asking, why God? Why the pain? Why the hurt? Why the death? If you get there, then all of a sudden you begin to lose a battle in your spirit and you begin to lose focus on what God wants you to keep your focus on and you'll get caught up into all that's happening around you and you will begin to lose the peace that God wants you to have. See, the reality is there's going to be struggles in life, the pain of life, the things that we go through, again, is a reminder that here on earth, it isn't home. We're not home yet. We're on our way there, but we're not there yet. And we can hold on to that truth. Well, here in our story, I pointed it out a minute ago, is this false assumption the disciples have the false assumption that this man was born blind and it was because of sin that he is blind. His sin or his parents' sin, generational or something that he has done. Well, this why thinking. We all have it, we find ourselves falling into it, and I'm bringing it out today because we have to break it when problems come and struggles come and difficulties come because the why thinking has me thinking, I don't deserve this. The why thinking makes me feel like, what did I do for this to happen? I had someone last night come up to me, a believer, a pastor in a local restaurant come up to me last night and, and say to me, do you think this is the beginning of the tribulation? Do you think this is God's curse? And you know what? I don't have an answer. I, I don't know. And it made me think, do you know, do you know how to read the signs of the times? And do you understand the signs of the time? So you don't get caught into the signs of the time? I mean, if they tell us next week, you can't buy bread or milk unless you get a mark on your, 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 your wrist or your forehead, I can tell you we're in the tribulation, that it is coming and you don't take the mark. Let me just say amen. And if you didn't know what I'm talking about, you need to do a little bit of studying because if this is, you can't get caught unaware and and become unknowing of what's happening in the moment. But so many times we say, why is this happening? Did I do something to deserve this? Is, is, Is this something? And maybe... Maybe that's normal, right? When, when bad things happen, when struggles are happening in our life, many times we're looking to try to find something to blame or, or someone to blame because it didn't go according to the way we want. Well, Jesus says no. No. This man didn't sin, it wasn't because of his parents, but it was for, and you may wanna circle it, it was for the work of God, which man will test your theology, but this is why I'm sharing it with you today, it's that the work of God will be displayed, will be glorified, will be shining in life, that all will be seeing that God as at work in his life. Man, what powerful words that these are, these words of Jesus. Now, why? I want to pause for a moment before I move to the next point. Why is this important? It's because sometimes the circumstances that we are in, many times that in those circumstances with the virus or problems or trials or troubles that are going on, sometimes those circumstances, we're asking God to change them. And many times it's the very circumstance that God is using to maybe change us or it's the very circumstance that God's wanting to use to glorify his name in another way so that he could get glory and he could be lifted up. See, it's normal. You and I are looking for a life of comfort. We don't like problems and struggles and difficulties. That's normal. But the God, God's word doesn't say that life is not going to have trials and tribulations and difficulties. God's more concerned with our character reflecting the glory of God than the comfort of my life. And if I don't understand that, then I'll find myself saying, why, God? Why is this happening? I was moved a few weeks ago. I hope you saw that testimony. If not, I think it's online. When Pastor Maria Khalil, a Pentecostal Assemblies of God pastor, she's had, she has her doctorate degree, doctorate of ministry degree from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in spiritual warfare. She didn't share that that day, but in spiritual warfare, she has her doctorate of ministry degree and she came down with cancer. Found out, if you remember, stage four, cancer, and she shared that testimony here, and I don't want to re-walk through that testimony, but what struck me is when she said, she said, you know, some of the most powerful times of ministry that I've ever had have been in the last year of my life. That God opened doors that I would have never been given the opportunity to minister and to share and to speak into people's life. You see, sometimes we're praying that God will change a circumstance or a situation or an issue. And it's the very thing that God's wanting to do to glorify himself in me or in my life or through my life for his glory. And sometimes if we don't realize it, we're praying, God, change the situation. And what God is wanting to do is do something in and through our life. Now, I know that's not necessarily an amen point, but we've got to break this why, God. Why is this happening? The second thing I want you to write down and I want you to know, the second thing when you're waiting for your miracle that you got to understand is in the trial, in the season of waiting, in the confusion, in the chaos, you determine you're going to glorify God. That nothing is going to steal your praise. The Bible says, great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. That nothing will steal the praise of God's people. Have you ever prayed for something and instead of getting what you were asking, you got the complete opposite? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's happened to me all the time. I can remember in Vienna, many uh, of you may know that Pastor Candy and I pastored in Vienna, Austria for uh, 12 years in Vienna, and, uh, and God did some many things, and And the church was growing. We, we had a, an auditorium just a little bit bigger than our Coral Springs auditorium, about the size of our prospect uh, campus, actually, and God was growing, and the church was multiplying. We went from a few services, to six services, the eight services, the nine services on a weekend, and finally we got to the place that we could not have any more services, and we needed to begin to find a larger building, and I'm telling you, for two years, we looked at building after building after building. I would be praying about a building, thinking, oh God, this is great. This would work. I mean, I hadn't done the math. I didn't know if we could do it or not. I just saw the building. It doesn't work, God. We have, we got to get it, and then we did everything, and we couldn't find a building, And then one day, I was actually in America, and I was on my way back, and as I was flying back, uh, Papa Bill, many of you may know Papa Bill, he's, him and uh, Louise, uh, Mama Louise, have been with us for 15 years in ministry. They were with us in Europe and and came here to Fort Lauderdale with us, and Papa Bill picked me up from the airport, and uh, he said, Tom, I want to show you a building as he picked me up, and I said, all right, Bill. He drove me by this building, and man, it was was good. It was a factory. It was a great facility, and we thought this would be great. But I've shared the story. We, we couldn't get the money. We, we had no way of getting a bank loan. They thought we were a sect because we were not a Catholic church. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Catholicism was the, the dominant religion of the country, and because we were not, they, they, they thought we were a sect or a cult as a, as a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church, and they wouldn't give us a loan. And man, we were praying, God, give us a loan. God, give us a loan. We couldn't get a loan. I went to the Assemblies of God of America. No loan. I tried to raise the money. No money. And I was a pretty good fundraiser. No money. There was no money. No loan. I couldn't get it. And we came to the deadline. We came to the deadline. No bank. Three, four, five banks said no. And all doors were closing. And I was like, God, you, I believe I believe you've given us this building. What's going on? And I shared to the congregation. And I said, this week is our deadline. If we don't get the money this week, we can't buy the building. And after the service, a gentleman walked up to me. And he said, Pastor, I have the money. I said, what do you mean you have the money? He says, I have the money, $2 million. I have the money, $2 million. It's in a bank over in Switzerland. And I believe God is speaking to me to give it to you to be able to buy the church. And I was doing a hallelujah dance. It was like, thank you, God. You didn't answer my prayer. Because the interest, the interest alone on what I would have been paying if I would have gotten a loan, now I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, you didn't answer it because you had something so much better for me. And that's how God works. And so, no matter what your circumstance is, you determine you're going to praise the Lord. You're going to glorify Him and you're going to lift Him up. Maybe you've been praying for a house. Maybe you've been praying that God would give you a house, that God would change your job, give you a promotion, help you find a job. Maybe you've been praying and nothing's opened yet. Don't lose your praise. Don't lose the, 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 the joy of the Lord and, and, and glorifying God because the reality is God has sometimes so much better than what we're praying about. And we've just got to wait and keep praying and keep determining and keep asking and believing and trusting that God's ways are the best ways. It's not second best, it's the best way. And his timing is perfect timing and I'm going to trust in him. I don't know how many of you are married that are watching me, but how many times have you looked back? Now in social media, it's easy. You look back and you go, oh, thank you, Jesus, I didn't marry them. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And then every now and then your spouse says to you, aren't you glad you didn't marry them? And it's like, yes, honey, I am so glad I didn't marry them because God has something so much better for what he wants to do in and through our lives. Now, here's the key. The ultimate goal is not just to get what we want. The miracle, the breakthrough, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to glorify God. And we can't forget that, especially when things get difficult. Don't lose your focus. And the goal is not the miracle. The goal is not the breakthrough. The goal is to glorify him and lift him up. That's what's important. Yes, your circumstances are difficult and you're trusting and you're walking through them. But nothing can keep you from glorifying God and nothing can keep you from doing the will of God. You see, the will of God in your life isn't linked to circumstances. The will of God is doing what God wants you to do and giving Him praise and glory in the middle of what you're doing. So therefore, you can glorify Him in all situations. Now, before I move to point three, I want to show this to you, this principle in God's Word. Turn or click with me over Hebrews chapter 11. I wanna show this to you because this is so, so good. Hebrews 11, I believe Paul's the writer. And in verse 32, it says, well, how much more do I need to say? By the way, this passage here is what's called the, the Hall of Fame, Israel's heroes. It's the, it's the heroic faith of, of those that have gone before us in the, in the life of Israel. And Paul says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories, the stories of faith, the stories of Gideon and, and Barak and Samson and Jepha and David and Sam and Samuel and all the other prophets. These people all trusted God as a, and as a result, because they trusted God, as a result, they did what? They won battles. They overthrew kingdoms. They ruled their people well. They received what God had promised them. They were kept from harm in the den of lions and in the fear of a fiery furnace. Some, through their faith, escaped death. Escaped death by the sword. Some were made strong again after they had been weak or sick. Others were given great power in battle. They made whole armies turn and run away. And some women, through their faith, received their loved ones back a life again, back again from the dead. Isn't that powerful? Let me just hear an amen. Isn't that good? I mean, look what God has done through these men and these women. Courage, dependence on God. I mean, unbelievable odds. They they overcome. They won victories. But the thing is, is I wish Paul would have stopped right there. I really do. I I wish he would have stopped right there. But in some ways, I'm glad he didn't. Because look what happens. He goes on to say, look in verse 35, but others. Circle that. Underline it. Highlight it in your digital Bible. But others. Others what? Others had an enduring faith. Others trusted. Others trusted God and they were beaten to death. Others trusted God, preferring to die rather than turn from God and be free. Be free trusting that they would rise to a better life afterwards. Some were laughed at and their backs cut open with whips and others were chained in dungeons. Some died by stoning and some by being sold in half. Others were promised freedom. If they would renounce their faith, then they were killed with the sword because they didn't. Some went about in in skins of sheep and goats, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in dens and caves. They were hungry and sick and ill-treated, too good for this world, all these men of faith." You see, even though there was pain and suffering and torture and tribulation, he says they were men of faith. And though they trusted God, they won his approval. None of them, none of them received all that God had promised them. Why? Verse 40 says, for God wanted them to wait, to wait. Now that's a challenge for our theology sometimes today because we want it now. We pray and we want an answer now. And when God doesn't give it 38 years, I'm paralyzed. Why God? You see, if I don't determine I'm gonna praise God, it confuses me and I don't understand why I'm waiting and somebody else isn't waiting. Why am I going through this and they're not? Why are good people, suffering pain and bad people are living in prosperity why god i don't understand it he says but god wanted them to wait why because he wanted them to share in something even better better rewards that were prepared for them for us see this is the question that we've got to know in our mind and you've got to answer we're only half of the heroes of faith in the will of god Were only those that were winning victories and and defeating the the lions and, and walking through the fiery furnace, were they the only ones in the will of God, or were all of them? Well, here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, all of them were in the will of God, and therefore, we've got to get it in our spirit. Nothing can keep you from doing the will of God, regardless of what the circumstances are in your life. Hear me today. The will of God isn't always safe. It doesn't always go the way you want it to go. Sometimes there will be struggles, but it doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. And When we hold on to that in our spirit, then we can give him praise and we can give a shout to him and we can know that no matter what's happening in the temporal, that's not the end of the story because eternity has got to come into the equation. And when eternity comes into the equation, something happens and I know that I'm giving God glory because I'm in the will of God. I love this one thing about the blind man. When we go back to the blind man, I love it because they begin to interrogate him. They begin to question him. They begin to ask him, how were you healed? They begin to even say, you weren't the blind man. They actually called his parents and they said to the parents, is this your son? I mean, give me a break. Is this your son that was born blind? Yes, that's my son that was born blind. How do you know? Because I know that's my son and he was born blind and the blind." man says, I don't know. I don't understand it all. I don't understand who he is or exactly what he's done, but I'll tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. See, when you hold on, what God begins to do in your life becomes a testimony to all that are around. I need to wrap it up, but let me bring you to the, to the next two thoughts really quick. When you're waiting for your miracle, you've got to continue to remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. No matter what's happening around, he's a good God. He's a good God. And and in the midst of all of that, you can remember the attributes of God that God sees, God knows, God cares. I mean, I've got scriptures there for you that reminds us of the attributes and the goodness of who our God is, that our God is with us. Look at Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close, say close, to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, when you're crushed in spirit, When your heart is broken, I want you to know that God is there to save you. An attribute of God is that God is aware that you have not been forgotten. We are not forgotten. God is not distant and uninvolved and unaware in what's happening right now. God is aware. In fact, Job 13 says, God is keeping a close watch on my path. When I come to God, I can know that God is involved with me. He loves me. He cares for me. He's aware of what I'm going through. He's there to help me and wrap his arms and guide me. And I've just got to keep that in my mind. Because if I look at everything else, the problems, the circumstance, all that's happening, it's easy to forget that. But today, I want you to be reminded of the goodness of God. And lastly, this man, this blind man that was healed, this blind man... God began to do a work in his life that was powerful, but it came as a result of obedience in his life. I want to tell you a story in our final moments about a woman named Corey Tin Boone. Many of you maybe have watched the movie Hiding Place or read some of her books or her writings, but Corey Tin Boone was. Someone that was taken during the Second World War uh, and uh, by the, the Nazis, her and her family were hiding many of the, the Polish Jewish individuals in their house. In fact, it's, it's been counted that she and her family, it was estimated saved over 800 Jews and other refugees in their house. But she and her sister and her father and family were captured and they were taken to Raven's book, which is a, consecration, a concentration camp. And, and it was an unbearable situation. In fact, her sister dies, her father dies after being there just a, a, a week or two. But Corey Tin Boone's faith, if you watch the movie and you read the writings of her life, man, she continued to testify of the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And she led many, many women in that concentration camp to the Lord. And Corrie ten Boone survived. In fact, uh, they're showing, I think, maybe uh, if they haven't started yet, some of the pictures of of Corrie ten Boone. She survived that concentration camp, went on to live 30 more years. Miraculously, she was saved. And she goes on to live 30 more years, traveling around, writing, declaring the goodness of God. No matter what happened to her, all that took place, she declared the goodness of God. And she makes the statement, and I think it's a powerful statement, that there is no pit so deep that God's love is still not deeper and that God's will gives us the love to be able to forgive our enemies no matter what we go through. Corey Ten Boone's story can be an encouragement for many of us. There was a writer, maybe you've read his work if you're a psychology major. His name is Martin uh, Sligeman. Martin Sligeman, in his book, Learned Optimism, talks about a condition. And I think it's, it's an important point for us as spiritual believers. He talks about what he calls the explanatory style. The explanatory style, it feels like it should be the explanatory story, but the explanatory style is a psychological attribute that each and every one of us, we begin to tell ourselves a story. We begin to explain ourselves a story of the circumstances of what's happening around us. It's a psychological thing that we do called the explanatory style. For example, if you're single and you're, you, you've are you got a date and you're supposed to meet your date at the restaurant at 7 p.m. sharp, and so you're there, you're early, and you're waiting for your date to show up, and by 7.15, they're still not there, 7.30, they're not there, 7.45, they're not there. At some point, you start explaining to yourself why that other person isn't there. They stood me up, and that means that that they didn't really care. And all of a sudden, the story you start telling you begins to create emotions within you. So, they stood me up. Now I'm mad. I'm angry. Or she doesn't really love me. Now you get sad. Or or he was in an accident, and now you're real anxious that maybe something's happened, and, 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 and he couldn't call me, and that's why. Or maybe she had to work overtime, or, or, or he had to work overtime, or, or maybe they met somebody else. And now you start to feel jealous, and you start to tell yourself this story. And then you begin to talk to yourself and say, that's why I'm going to break up. That's why, that's why I'm going to break up. Now, you already wanted to break up. You just needed a reason to break up. And so now there's relief because you've got a reason to break up. Now, this is something we do. We do it in life in many different situations with our spouse, with coworkers, with our children, with circumstances. We begin to talk to ourselves in a story, same situation, but different explanations. Now, why is this important? Why do I bring it up here in the final moments is because When you're walking through a situation and a circumstance, the story you're telling yourself is very, very important. In fact, Joseph said, we have an illustration, he's thrown in a pit, 17 years, he spends his life in this pit. I'm telling you, there was stories that was going through his mind, but he shows us what he began to say when he finally met his brothers, is that what you meant for evil, Genesis 20 and verse 50, God meant for good. God was elevating me and putting me, see, he had an explanatory story that he began to understand, and that which you meant for harm, God God had a greater purpose for it and God was moving me to a place you see you got to begin it's not just self-talk but you got to begin to understand that God is good that God is in control and you can begin to remind yourself that nothing's going to steal my praise that I'm going to glorify him I'm not going to get stuck in this why me God why is this happening because I know that God is in control can I hear an amen The final thing, and I said it a moment ago, passing quickly, but let me conclude with it right now, is that Jesus comes back to this man, this man that had been healed later, and he speaks to him and he tells him to go and wash himself, go and wash himself in the pool of Shalom. Now, this was the feast, it was the festival. It was a very, very busy time. Remember, this man is blind. If you've ever been to Israel with us, there's many stairs and, and we don't know quite where he was, but he would have had to navigate those stairs. He was blind. We don't know if anybody was there to help him. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. So there would be thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. And so he's getting bumped around and, and all that's happening. But he went and he washed himself in the pool of Shalom. Now, why is that important? Is because many times God's miracles are linked to obedience. That which we're praying for, we've got to begin to believe. in that which God asks us to do, it moves us in faith. And in obedience, we go and it releases the miracles of God. You see, I really don't think this man would have been healed if this man had not went and did what the Lord asked him to do. His faith was stirred. And as his faith was stirred, he moved in obedience. And many times miracles are released in my obedience. And I wonder today, wherever you are, as you're listening to this message, what steps of obedience is God wanting you to take today? And what's the miracle on the other side of your obedience? What's the step that God wants you to do? What is it that God wants to to work in your life? You see, if you're stuck at the pool, if you're waiting, you're crying out for God to do something, and God is speaking that you've got to move, and as you move, your steps of obedience will bring the miracle in your life. Until you move, it won't be released in your life. One step of obedience could open your eyes. One step of obedience could break a curse. One step of obedience could write new chapters in your life. The question is, what is it that God's wanting you to do? Today, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. As you've been listening, watching, as you're in this auditorium today, today, I believe that God wants to do a work and he wants to touch and he wants to be with us. And today, I want to pray that blessing over you. I just wanna encourage you, don't get caught in the why, God? Is this happening to me? Why is this happening? But begin to see that God is in control. Begin to determine that you're gonna glorify God, that you're gonna glorify Him. Determine nothing is going to steal my praise. Peace comes from the Lord. Grace comes from God. Mercy is from Him. And God, I'm gonna remember your goodness. You see, doing your will has nothing to do with the circumstances of what's going on in my life. And God, I declare today my allegiance to you. I love you. I praise you. I'm your child. And today I'm determining to continue to walk in obedience to your will. So God, that's the question. What is your will? What's your purpose? What do you desire God, as you reveal it, as you speak it to us, we determine that we're going to do it. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.